0: Hello everyone, I'm Kevin Miller and this is The Ziggler Show, where our goal is to inspire your true performance. In this episode, what picture are you painting with your life? Folks, this is a profound message. You and I, we're painting pictures to everyone we have contact with at every moment in our lives, with every action. Uh, Whether this is our kids, our spouse, our customers, and our clients, our audience, uh, everyone, what does the picture represent the concept of how and what you are influencing is influencing is it's relevant to all that we also go deep in this show into Christianity. Scott Stearman is my guest. He's a renowned sculptor whose life-size sculptures are focal points of military compounds and faith-based institutions and universities all across America. He has a message he is now delivering on stages as well across America, and he's got a new book asking, what does your Jesus look like Folks, it's a, I, I can keep using the word profound. I don't know how much, I, I wish I could exaggerate the the profundity even more. For those of you who do claim Christ, this is going to hit you in the heart and right between the eyes. Again, however, the message is relevant for anyone who desires to have a positive influence in and on the world, which I know everybody listening to The Ziegler Show does. As the saying goes, we judge ourselves by our intentions, others Judge us by our actions. How are our actions, our behavior coming across? Uh, They belie who we are at the core, which is daunting in truth. What you truly believe is who and how you are affecting other people. How are you lifting them up, inspiring them to more? As you're going to hear in the show, Scott is more than just an esteemed guest. I want for the show somebody with an amazing message. I have closely and intimately done life with Scott Stearman for over 17 years. This show is similar to many conversations he and I have had through the years over a cup of coffee, talking deep about our lives together. Uh, again, if you care to truly have a positive influence on anyone and even more so, if you claim Christ, I implore you, don't miss this show. Dig into this one. Uh, you can connect with Scott Stearman and check out his dramatic sculptures and his new book, What Does Your Jesus Look Like, at S T E A R M A N S-T-E-A-R-M-A-N.com. So I'm going to bring Scott to you right after I share some great products and services. I'm a foodie, and I enjoy learning about the process that brings great foods and beverages from idea to the table So look for it at your local store. Heaven Hill reminds you to think wisely and drink wisely. Well, Scott, for I don't know how many years I was trying to think uh, of the timeline, but for a decade, decade and a half longer than that, you and I met um, pretty much every, every week with some other guys for coffee or wine, depending on the season and where we were. And we would talk about life. Uh, We would talk about doing life. And uh, as I was writing, you know, scripting this show, I thought, you know what? How about if we just do that? We'll let people audit our conversation over a cup of coffee.
1: Absolutely. All right. Absolutely. Uh, The thing I remember about those times uh, huddling up around a table in the corner of of a little cafe, is it was always about the story. It was always about our stories. We would tell our stories to each other. And in telling our stories, we were known by each other, which was huge in community that, that we not just know someone, but that they know us and that we are known. My story is valued and, uh, Embraced and treasured by people I care about.
0: And that's, that is, I remember, well, even today, you know, I still meet with a group of guys, some of the ones that we did back then. And my feeling is always, I want to know what's foremost on their minds. What's, what's the, the, the the cloud sounds bad because we think of that about that, but what's permeating their minds? What's most on their minds? I don't want to go a week or two weeks or a month and then have something big happen that I I didn't even know was going on. I want to know what's, what's going on. And I hope that through this conversation, uh, our hearts shine through and some value shines. Actually, I don't even have to hope that. I know it will. I, in this message, and I want to go back and forth between your story too, uh, Scott. Actually, I want to start off with your story for context. But, you know, I, I, I was led this morning just to, as the title of this book, what does your Jesus look like? As you have been dwelling on this message for years, if you look back Before this message kind of came to light and back before you've been ruminating on it and come to now though, and say, what are some for you? What are some behavioral, some lifestyle, some perspectives that have changed for you as a result of you taking captive that this concept that now, and again, it's, it's kind of a, 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 an odd word to use, but that haunts you that, 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 that rides above you at all times.
1: Well, I've, I've often joked, I wish I, was, I wish I was 20 years old again, yeah. back when I knew everything. Uh, of course. Yeah. Because now I'm convinced there's hardly anything that I really know. Yeah. And uh, it was so simple back then. But the, 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 the truth is that as you start navigating life as an adult, uh, coming out of being a narcissistic young person, and realizing you have to, you have to, uh, you have to function and uh, be present in relationships and in community with the people where you live. And so I, I started to think about how my faith uh, presented to the people around me who I cared about. And then it became deeper than that. It became, how does my faith present to people who don't even know what I believe? But I still felt uh, I've still felt it really important that even for someone I may never see again, it was important for the faith that I claim to represent well uh, what I have embraced as truth. In, in my life. Mm-hmm. So it was probably just uh, a maturation from becoming from a young person becoming an adult in relationship, in community with other, with other husbands and brothers and sisters and, and uh, families, and realizing that I had to think about how I was connecting with everyone around me and representing my faith to everyone around me. It wasn't just my own narcissistic. This is what I believe. I don't care what anybody else thinks. I don't care what it does to anyone else. This is what I believe. And I'm standing on that and, you know, screw you if you don't believe it, you know? Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, and it brings up, you know, in this message and we're, as I'm going to pull out here is relevant regardless of your faith this message that you brought forth to me is regardless of what if if you're concerned about what your Jesus looks like do you are you concerned about what your influence looks like and there's nobody listening to this show that does not or they wouldn't be here listening so everybody cares what their influence looks like so we're going to talk about that even as we talk about the the specific issue of your faith and in this sense uh, of Jesus and as you talked about that you know I know that there are I was going to say people, but even Christians struggle with that. Do I really, is, is the point of my faith to evangelize, to draw other people to it? Why do we have to do that? And I know the non-Christians or the, the critics are critical of that. Why do you have to impress that on? And yet I'll find those same people when they find something of, can I say goodness, something of health, something that has been a benefit to their life, a good value. They want to share it whether it was a good movie they saw or a health benefit that they received or an insight that helped their life, man, they want to tell people if they, if they thought, you know, if right now during the coronavirus, and they hear that, man, you can get, you know, $10,000 for your business, they're going to go tell people, tell their friends who are business owners, man, check this out. This might help your business in that sense. That's what, that's the kind of the fire that you brought under me again with my faith. Of course, I would want to share it uh, just like anything else that I thought would be of value to others. And that's, it's a spirit that you brought in that I feel like we so often lose in the, can I say the church in, in our faith that I felt like you were fanning the flames of.
1: Yeah. Uh, it, it's probably the idea of being a, uh, a healthy member of a community, not a community of faith, but a healthy member of a community and living in a way that, uh, I love the, I love the metaphor from Mark five. I talk about it in my book being salt. You know, I always heard about, you know, Christians, well, we're supposed to be salt. We're supposed to preserve and we're supposed to flavor, Mm -hmm. you know, and it became this thing that we needed to do. You had to be proactive and you had to get out there and you had to throw salt on everybody, right? The thing I learned from uh, a good friend of mine, uh, Jim Garlow, was that the metaphor for salt really means, do I create thirst? Salt creates thirst. Do I create thirst in people for the truth that I have embraced and that I, uh, that I possess in my heart and in my life, in my spirit? Am I living my life in a way that might make someone say, okay, tell me about why you responded that way and not this way?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, why did you, wh- wh- you know, what is it about you? I, I, my, my wife Hermine, she, she's had people uh, in, uh, in the, in the high tech world They knew there was something about her, uh, that she was a person of faith, and they recognized it not because she was throwing salt on everybody, but because she was living her life and creating thirst uh, in others for the truth and the presence of Christ in her life. So that's what I think feels a little different from uh, being raised in an evangelical tradition, and now really embracing the evangelical tradition of of we're supposed to just share saltiness and create thirst in people for Christ, for the living water of Christ.
0: Well, and that's page I've got it pulled up here, seventy seven in your book. That's the big headline. Are page you Page make-
1: seventy seven?
0: Seventy seven, <laughs> man. Yeah, seventy seven. In show seven, seven, seven as we are on right now. Are you making others thirsty for the living water of Christ? So I posted a question yesterday, Scott. It was a question on health and fitness. It was for my other podcast, The True Life Show, with uh with our buddy Randy James. And ask people to share what their motive is, what the payoff is for their fitness, what keeps them pursuing that. And I mean, you know, as you can imagine, just everybody's posting because anybody who's into the health fitness lifestyle, they want to talk about it. They're excited about it. It has helped their lives. It has helped others' lives. And again, coming back to this, we're talking about Christ, but of whatever it is that we Value. So if it's fitness, you want to talk about it and you should showcase a level of fitness. If it's finance, man, you're excited about it. You want to help him. You're a Dave Ramseyite. And of course, you also should have some level of wealth and financial prosperity and security uh, for your own credibility if that's what you're going to showcase out there. And, uh, you know, if you're counseling, you should have like your wife has done for so many years some level of your own mental health and wellness that you've achieved in order to showcase this to others, but you're excited about it and you've achieved something there and you want to showcase that. And through your life, you're making others thirsty for X and your book, this message, I should say this message, because you do it on stage. You do it in so many different venues, not just the book, but it brought me again to what am I showcasing that's any different? Is it just, I'm, I'm uh, he doesn't cuss. Yeah, he's, he's nice. He, he tithes. Man, I, I know people who cuss and don't tithe who are helping the needy of the earth far more than I've ever seen in a church. So that, that, that can't be it. What is it? And it really, it really, it's kind of like goal setting. So often we don't think about this. What is my, uh, what am I painting? What is the picture I'm painting? When do we think about that?
1: sorry i had a uh can you edit here yep okay yeah i had a email thing pop up and cover my screen and it
0: turned you <laughs> off for a minute yep i got it um let me note that you can just pick up there yeah can you go back and ask that again yeah hold on let me make a note here uh, 40. 12, sorry about that no 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 so Scott, it just had me uh, again, dwelling on as a, well, as a Christian, as at anything, as an advocate of X, let's just put that there as a, let's put the bucket there as an advocate of what are you an advocate for? How are you back to your statement on page 77? How are you making people thirsty for that? Are you arguing? That doesn't make anybody thirsty. Are, are you proving? Ah, it doesn't make anybody thirsty. And again, especially from a faith standpoint, what do we do that draws people to that? Of course, I can't think of anything better than love, fruits of the spirit, which is, yeah, I, I see you smiling. Go ahead.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's, 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 the, uh, it's the idea that I live my life and I don't beat people up with what I believe about about health and fitness. I don't beat people up with what I believe about my faith. I live health and fitness in front of them. I live my faith. They see me navigate life. They see me make choices in a restaurant when I'm looking at the menu. They see me make choices in how I respond in life that's reflective of the faith I've embraced. So it, it becomes much more that. I think, I think it's easy for people to get turned off when they feel like, oh, man, I don't want to go to lunch with that guy. He's just going to beat me up mm-hmm. about, I know I need to lose weight, and I know I need to do this, and I need to start this. But, you know, today I just don't want to hear it. That and faith seem to go together in that it's, it's stepping into relationship with people whether it's their health and their wellness, or it's their faith, it's their marriage, but it is being, it is it is carrying light into that relationship and into their life and speaking health, not just physical health, but just speaking health into their being, into their spirit. So it just becomes a lifestyle of, of, uh, of making, Jesus look like Jesus should look. If I carry him in my spirit, then how I carry him into everyday conversation and everyday relationships needs to reflect well on the faith that I claim. And so, man, I, I, I have learned things in the last couple of years about, about, about health and wellness. That has informed my ability to make choices that are important, but I've also learned things about faith that has allowed me to uh, to live a more solid uh, life, um, a life of contemplation, a life of reflection, a life that maybe I don't do it to be attractive to attract other people to what I believe. I do it because this is what I believe.
0: Mm -hmm. You are listening to the Ziegler show and my talk with master sculptor, Scott Stearman. Next, we dig more into our overall influence and the very real issue of leading within areas we have not and really cannot fully arrive to perfection in. We must have some credibility in overcoming, but we're still on the journey ourselves and we must reconcile this. So we'll dive right back in after I share some great products and services with you. Go to shopify.com slash Kevin to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash Kevin. YahooFinance.com. So let's hit on this piece too, because as we're talking about being an influence in these areas, you know, if you're a fitness advocate, if you're a finance advocate of being fit here, and we're talking about our again our influence. I mean, this is this is to the heart of sales. Zig Ziglar. It's a transference of feeling, uh, and and as we're looking at that and talking about this. The danger, let's hit a danger point, too, is looking and discounting ourselves. Uh, I mean, obviously, if I'm having, st- I would be a bad, uh, nobody wants me as a financial consultant. I am not a Dave Ramsey certified uh, counselor. As you laugh, I would be the worst. I have no credibility I- I- in finance there. Um, so we don't want that. Now, health and wellness, I, I do some. I do that. I- I'm-, I'm viable there. Now, to come to my faith. As, as a Christian, I mean, that's the one where I'm going to, I I'm striving, but am I an example? Am I, am I the prime? and I'm, it's so easy to discount myself and on that to, to back to what I said, none of us are perfect. We can't be perfect. None of us are at a place where we have arrived and we now have a, an official certificate that says, you know what you can Teach others about health and wellness or finance. Well, maybe you get that. You can get a Dave Ramsey certification. I don't have one from a spiritual standpoint. I'm not a pastor. I'm not certified in the fivefold ministry. Who am I? Man, that's a great question, Scott. Who am I? Who am I to try to mirror Jesus Christ? That's a tall order as well.
1: I don't know. I guess I've I guess I'm learning uh at this stage of life. To just walk carefully in relationship with others and reserve judgment uh, it's it's easy it's easy to sit in judgment when you see somebody you think man they're not living their life right they're not making good choices for their for their faith and they're not making good choices for their physical life uh, i don 't know i guess the, I guess the theme of of my book is. The impetus is more on me to live an example with how with how I live my life, and it's not on on my evangelistic fervor of trying to fix everybody. Yeah, I'm fixing me, and if if my life uh, becomes attractive for someone wanting to ask the question, you seem to have a close relationship with Christ. How do you do that? How do you walk that every day? What does that look like? That feels a lot more comfortable than me going up and wagging my finger and saying, you need to straighten your life out. Now, sometimes confrontation is needed sure. because somebody is absolutely driving their car toward the cliff and you've gotta, you've gotta stop. But, but just the everyday relationship of being in community, it's, I guess, and I don't know if it's a cop out, because I'm not confrontational by nature. But it just feels like a more solid, gentle approach in connecting with people on a faith level, on a health level of saying the things that need to be said through the way I live my life. Mm -hmm. So my book, What Does Your Jesus Look Like? The idea is every day we are shaping an image of who he is of what he looks like, by the way we live our faith every day, by the way we live our life, we are reflecting to others what he looks like yeah so it it's
0: i don't know it's that,
1: a, it, it's a gentle confrontation it
0: is a gentle confrontation and and that's that's interesting. Term because that's what I feel like from your message, Scott. And of course, I know this message from before the book existed. I saw you on stage, and I had lots of coffees with you, uh, lots of time around the dinner table as we talked of these things. And you know, coming back to values, everybody listening to this show is here for the most part, because they want to better their life and they want to then help others. They want to, and my favorite word is influence. You know, Zig is, Zig Ziglar was known for sales. And of course that is influence. We want to sell right now. I want to sell my to your God, your God sons, uh, Ian and Canyon who are, let's see, what are they? 15 and 14. I have values that I long for them to live out for the betterment of their life. If nobody knows that I'm their dad and it's not for me, it's okay. This is what I would want for them. It's what I want for anybody. I have to do that in a way, coming back to your thirst that makes them thirsty for that, because I'm aware that I am, I, I am always balancing the line of going too far and losing influence with them, which a lot of people with middle school kids talk about—that age yeah. when we lose influence—and now the kids just detest you. And I'm so glad I've never experienced that with my kids, but I get it. It's right there. Where do you? How far can you push? And what can I do? And how can I showcase this? It, and but I, even that, I use that word push. I, I don't need to. I shouldn't. But how can I take my values and make others? thirst for that i mean that does come back i mean scott you do that in a sales presentation for one of your sculptures
1: well yeah i do i talk when i talk to uh to clients i really try to i try to focus in on what is their story Mm -hmm. what is important to them what do they need this sculpture to represent if it's if it's a custom commission something they want to present to their sales force or to their educators or to their pastors what is the image? What are the themes? What's the meaning and the message? And it becomes so much more about what the, what the story is of my client and not what my vision is as an artist. So I think probably my philosophy on how I approach uh, doing commissions is it's an easy place to step over into I want to have that same approach with how I how I live out my faith every day. It's the it's it's the self conversation of saying to myself, asking the question, do you love them more than you love you? Do you are you willing to serve them? more than you're willing to serve yourself mm-hmm. in this conversation, in this moment, with this project. Um, and so that's kind of been a guiding uh, a guiding factor in my conversations with clients, with sculpture commissions. And it seems to be a logical step uh, that that same attitude works in faith. Yeah. Do I love them more than I love me? We can have our conversations devolve into angry confrontations because everybody believes something today that somebody is that everybody else is going to disagree with on some level and and we've got this we've got this cultural conversation that just feels it's vitriolic and it's disturbing because people who agree on 90% of life disagree on 10%. And, and we allow that 10% to derail yeah. relationships and families. And, and so what I've, what I've brought into faith from my sculpting philosophy of serving, and I look at my faith and I go, how am I living my life? Am I going to beat them up about how they're not living or am I going to serve them well and let them just have some, a cool drink of water, you know? I'm just gonna give them a cup of water and just let them drink and let them rest and let them feel, uh, let them feel the peace of Christ in this moment. And it not be condemnation and it not be confrontation just be, man, coming through, coming out of Easter just recently. Yeah. It just, now, since we had to celebrate Easter alone, it made me long for community. Yeah. It made me thirsty for relationships again. It yeah. made me hungry to embrace the people of my community just not my not necessarily my church community but just my community i can't talk to anybody really yeah. and so that's made me hungry so when i go back into life after this whole virus thing has settled down i think my attitude's going to be softer it's going to be it's going to be more gentle i'm 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 going to want to somehow express whether it's faith or whether it's fitness whether it's relationships I'm um, somehow I want to re- want to express that I really care more about you than I care about me yeah. in this moment how can I serve and that's a big idea that's just a grandiose idea of You know, and I, and I know people are sitting out there right now. They're going, Oh yeah, right. That's not even practical. How do you do that? I don't know. I don't know how you do that. I just think that's that it feels right to ask myself the question in this moment, who do I love more? Do I love them more or do I love me more? And all of a sudden that diffuses confrontation and that diffuses harsh, uh, harsh relationships. That uh, I don't know. It just feels it feels like a good, like the right approach. And so that's what kind of drove me in this idea of putting this book together. Yeah, was people of faith going through life, and we run into people who don't believe what we believe, and we want to get in an argument and we want to debate them, and we want to exercise political power to force them to do what we think they should do. And I don't know if that paints or sculpts a beautiful uh, image of the Savior whose presence in our lives that we claim.
0: Well, have you ever met anybody I haven't met anybody yet who says, Man, I'm a Christian. How'd you come to the faith? You know, I was chastised and admonished into it.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm they they made me feel so guilty.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yep. I got so low that I just wanted to rise back up. You're 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 right. This comes to, you know, I recently interviewed John Mark Comer, and he has the book The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. And I was thinking about him, Scott, during Easter because he said not to take any, anything away from the death and resurrection of Christ. But he says, is that it? What about, what about his life? What about What about his life that we want to emulate? What about the lifestyle of Jesus? And he talks about that. And I was thinking about it again as I was preparing for this. I mean, I, you you know, gosh, I I don't know. I'll have to put the story. Maybe I'll put it in the intro coming into this for people to know that the catalyst for your message. And then this book is you realizing, I I, I guess I'm, I'm assuming realizing that you are sitting there sculpting. And as you did on stage, here you are talking about this message, literally sculpting a depiction of the face of christ and saying that's what i do with my life and 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 that was i mean the day i'll never forget the first time i think it was the first time you did it at community church up here wasn't it at a easter wasn't it an easter service or something like that
1: yeah it may have been and you friday or something and I you were know.
0: doing it while our buddy probably todd was was uh Oh the message. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that was a good Friday service, right. And, and it hit me like a ton of bricks. I mean, that's what I'm doing every day to my kids, to my wife, to the people I work with, to the people I, well them more than anyone. I mean, people listen to this show, they hear this part of me. They are not privy to the rest of my life necessarily. And I am sculpting the image of whatever it is that I say I represent, um, which is- Yes, sculpting his portrait on
1: stage really became- a visual metaphor, yeah. a live metaphor for people to uh, to answer the question, what does my Jesus look like? Because I'm, I'm talking about all of us every day with our choices, with our conversations, with our attitudes, with our actions, with the way we behave, the way we treat others. We are telling a watching world, this is who Jesus is. Because we carry his name. And in my book, I talk about the Ten Commandments monument I did, and I talk about the third commandment, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord in vain. I always thought that meant you don't cuss, right? right. I mean, I'm a preacher's kid. I knew what that list of words was, and yeah. I knew I wasn't ever supposed to say that, right? Yeah. And I'm, I'm sitting in my studio working on that sculpture, that monument, and the third commandment, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain bothered me deeply because I went, wait a minute, this is one of the Ten Commandments of God. This has got to mean more than just a list of words a little boy in Coffeyville, Kansas is not supposed to say on the playground. It's got to mean more than that. What I learned from talking to especially my cousin, who's a pastor, I, I learned that when we take the name of the Lord, we have taken his identity on our life we claim his name. So years from now, in my obituary in the back of a little newspaper somewhere, there'll be, hopefully will be the word Christian. I am a Christian. I am of Christ. They will, they will say that about me. They'll say that about me because I have taken his name right. on my life. Does my life represent well? the name I have taken. If it doesn't, it feels, that feels weighty. That feels like this is one of the 10 commandments of God. Don't take my name unless you're serious about the name that you claim.
0: Wow. You know, Scott, I mean, if, if we're having coffee, you and me, and talking about that, it's a dangerous perspective too, because in one sense, it's, it's, a, convicting, uh, it's a convicting statement for you to, to share that to me, Kevin Miller, as a professed Christian. It's convicting and it should be, and I can take it as such. And yet if I'm someone who is questioning that conviction, questioning that claim, it can almost make me run the other way. If I'm struggling with my weight, I don't want to put a CrossFit bumper sticker on my car because now there's an expectation of what I should look, at, look like when I get out of that car. And people have seen that bumper sticker. So if I'm struggling, I might just keep that bumper sticker off. Uh, same thing with, with finance. You know, I don't want to go back to Dave Ramsey. Dave Ramsey, certified counselor extraordinaire on the back of my rusted Yugo. Doesn't, doesn't really give off the credibility. We're t- it's like the realtor, you know, you can go out and, and buy a car. You can't afford it. So you need to look the part if you're going to look success- successful. So I don't have a, a fish or a cross on my car. Um, maybe I should question why. Because don't. you don't, you don't
1: trust yourself in traffic.
0: I'm a, I'm, I'm an aggressive <laughs> driver. Yeah. I don't know yeah. if I, that's, that's, that's true. But, but is that, a, is that a, is that a, uh, Man, is that a danger too? Of saying, if I'm going to claim this, would that drive somebody? Man, I'm having a discussion between us right now. Would that drive somebody to say, then I'm not going to claim it because I, I, I can't, I can't uphold that. Is that a danger? I, I, I'm, I'm just pondering um, to myself because it's one that Scott. Again, man, I'm, I'm thinking about this so often. My muse right now, my avatar, are my middle school boys because their BS meter is. Is, is locked in all the time. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that's a by proxy of that age at middle school, high school age is they're listening, especially to parents or authority figures and they're questioning for the first time. And so this is what we end up talking about with Said, guys. We're talking about this, but it's the assumption that you believe that you have faith. We got people in the Bible disciples saying, I believe help my unbelief. This is a lifelong thing, guys. It's a big deal. Um, and here I am, talking to you about this. And and they know me, they know my driving style. They know my struggles with my attitude, my behavior, my marriage, and they're privy to it all. That's, that's a, that's a big claim to make a big, a big accountability.
1: It is. It, it takes commandment number three, like one of the commandments says thou shalt not murder. Yep. I haven't struggled
0: with that this week
1: <laughs> I just you. Have to say, yeah, I'm,
0: I'm grateful to hear brother,
1: but commandment number three, yeah. All of a sudden, when I understood this, it applies to every moment of every day and it becomes, it be, it carries weight because it says to me, guard every moment, every moment that you live, you're, a, you are reflecting the name, that you claim. So I wear his name. It's like wearing a Jesus t-shirt. How do I conduct myself in life and represent that name that I have on my shirt? How do I represent it well? Yeah, you're right. It's, it's not an automatic and it is, I'm going to, I'm going to fail and I mean, if you drive like a crazy man, you probably shouldn't put a fish on your trunk. I th- I'm yeah. just, I'm just saying, <laughs> Agreed. I, you know, I mean, I've seen people road raging in traffic and I look and I just go and they've got a church bumper sticker of see you in Sunday school kind of thing, oh, you yeah. know, and I just, it just makes me scratch my head. Yep. I go, I, somehow you've got a disconnect going in your, in your life there. Yeah. So it's, I mean, it's just a daily, it's just a daily awareness I mean the two the two great commandments love God and love others it doesn't have to be much more complicated than that if I love others that informs how I'm going to conduct myself mm-hmm. every day every moment how I'm going to how I'm going to represent the faith I claim in front of my two teenage boys it's just a 24/7 awareness it doesn't does mean you're you're going not going to fail no it doesn't mean that at all it means you're in a you're on a journey you're in a process and you're so transparent with your kids man i mean you when when you do something you go guys I shouldn't have done that I'm really sorry I I should have I should have done better they're learning and they're watching and they're just going this is this is life because they're going to fail too and they need to know that failure isn't final. That uh, they can they can step out of that and keep going forward. Uh, how many metaphors did I use in that one sentence? I love it. <laughs> I,
0: I, that's what, hey, that's what the, that dude named Jesus. He did that a lot. Uh, as I as I read about him, you know, Scott. This I remember. I'll never forget reading Thomas Merton, the monk. You know, and the guy spent years on years in contemplation and prayer with, with God. And uh, you're going to scoff at this, Scott, but don't. You're, you're you're that guy. You get to, you have a unique work situation uh, that you are in solitude a lot. You are in contemplation a lot and you are often tasked to, I'll I'll never forget the story of when you were tasked to, Hey, we need a, a, a monument on the 10 commandments how weighty is that (laughs) to to talk about a depiction that you're you're being taxed, you're being paid a lot of money to depict the 10 commandments. And of course you in, in God's anointing on you, I'm going to say, took that and you, uh, what wasn't the testimony from a lawyer saying this is one of the best cases. Yeah. He
1: said it's a, it's a three-dimensional legal brief.
0: Yeah. On the Ten Commandments, which that thing's well, and, and folks, if you want to see it, go to scottstearman.com dot com, and you should be able to find it pretty quick on there, can't they? Uh, the, yeah. the monument that you did, but yep. that you're you're we're talking about this stuff not hypothetically. This is your job. Uh, what a unique job. You know what? I'm going to digress real quick, Scott. You are how old are you? Sixty seven. Six. I'm sixty seven and going. on... I'm sixty seven going on forty two. Going on forty two. God bless that. I love that. Uh, and you are you were telling stories uh from an early age you were doing it in media you were doing it in film and tv and it wasn't though until the age of what 30 something that you yeah, saw 30 some,
1: 32 yeah. is when i decided to be a sculptor
0: 32 and isn't the story you're walking tell it real. Quick. you're walking along and you saw some dude i
1: was in a gallery in colorado on vacation and i walked in and I saw all these bronzes and they, you know, it was all Western art back in the early eighties. And, and I was fascinated and the guy was in there working. And so I went, I walked up the steps to his studio where he was working and started talking to him. And I just expressed how fascinated I was and how I just, you know, and I think somewhere in the conversation, I said, I, I think I want to try this. And he stopped. His name was Gene Stewart. He's an artist from Oklahoma who spent his summers in Colorado. He stopped and he focused on me. And he told me his process. He showed me his tools. He talked to me about the materials and he said, you need to go home and try. You can do this. You need to go home and try. And so I did. And that was that was where it started. And all and you know and and literally two and a half years later, I'm saying to her, honey, let's quit our jobs, sell everything, and move to Colorado. I'm gonna be a sculptor. Mm-hmm. I'm 32 years old. This is insanity, right? Mm-hmm. I'm supposed to be into my career now, building my 401k, and I we did. We loaded up a U-Haul trailer, had a thousand dollars in our pocket and moved to the mountains. And thank goodness for my wife who kept us from going hungry because, because she was able to actually have a consistent paycheck, but that's how it, that, that's how it started. I, I just started and it became, it, it became storytelling in 3d. I mean, up to that point, I'd been in video and film production, and everything was about how do you tell a story with video and film. And all of a sudden, it was the same process, using the same muscles, except it was sculpture instead of
0: video. Yeah. So, and I want to pull out. And this is something that I witnessed from you. Let's go back to that story of, and and this is not to make because I know that you're going to balk if I make this about uplifting you. So it's not about you, Scott Stearman. All right. Uh, This is about work and and mastery and us all looking at our work as something honorable. Uh, Even if it's just to put food on the table and you brought that to me too, because of course, you know, I'm, I'm enamored and I have a love affair with work that you do enjoy work that does embody your talents, your giftings, your skills, your abilities, your joys, um, which you have in there. But you've also brought that to me about this, the honor of anyone who's working to put food on the table, to care for those around them, that it can all be honorable work. Going back to the Ten Commandments, though, and I, I'm not sure if you said it this way, Scott. We've shared too many stories over the years, but you could have taken that. And if somebody asked me, do a monument to the Ten Commandments, I would have had an open Bible. Here's the Ten Commandments, you know, raise the letters and the bronze or whatever. And there you go. You're good. Uh, if I was going to make a, a, a soldier monument, it had been a soldier. He's standing there. There he is in his garb. Yeah, and yeah. yet, as we all have the opportunity to be masterful in our work, to go, what can we do to tell a story, to bring honor, to to bring mastery into our work, that you took it, and especially now that you've got, yeah, your muses are military monuments, and then these faith based uh, uh, monuments as well that are going to tell a story forever, theoretically. And the weight that you took that to contemplate that, and, I, and I'm kind of coming back to Thomas Merton, you know, that, that, that your job is to study these things and, and, and go to the essence. That's what you're being paid for. If you do it better, you'll be paid more. So it's, it's literally a job as well as a calling. Yeah, I've always felt
1: really uh, driven by the idea of uh, when, when, what, will, what, will this, what will this sculpture do? When I'm, not al- when I'm not around to explain. How will this be received years from now when my signature that's hidden down there on the bottom somewhere is covered over in dirt and dust and corrosion and nobody really thinks about who did this? Will the message endure?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So the, the question, the question that, I, that I deal with daily is what am I doing today that has an eternal value. And it's not just to get me through the day. Um, I've, I've thought about my sculptures speaking when I'm not there. And that feels, that feels really important, important to me. Um, And so consequently, I I haven't done a lot of whimsical stuff. I've done sculptures of faith and sculptures of veterans and and those are kind of the two, the two arenas that my career has kind of gone toward because I was always wanting to tell a story and always wanted to create an image that honors service and sacrifice and commitment. And so faith and freedom seem to be the two arenas that allowed me to do that.
0: Well, I want to pull that out. I mean, this is something I talked about with my boys, with, with our boys last night was, I'm trying to pull up the context, but it was something of, let's say you're an accountant. You know what? Actually, I'm going to come back your book. It's page 19. And you said every morning you get to come into a room of possibilities. Um, I res, well, I resonated with that, Scott, you come in at your sculpting tools for me, all I need is a pen, paper, or a keyboard. And I have a room full of possibilities and I'm so aware in my own life and in my experience of walking with so many people that, and, and actually I'll give some credit where I first heard the, the, the line was from Tony Robbins. He says, statistically, the happiest people are those who are just making progress every day. You get to do that in your work. I get to do that in my work. I get to make progress... Every day, but I want to call out to somebody, you know, because you just talked about you could sculpt anything. So you could have your days filled with sculpt. You're in Colorado, you could, you know, sculpt a mountain, sculpt a panther, sculpt a whatever, and you personally just didn't find as much joy and fulfillment. You gravitated towards what you said, faith and freedom and those stories, because that's what brought you alive. And of course, in doing so, you did better work uh in that. If somebody's an accountant, an accountant uh god bless an accountants because i would be bankrupt without accountants um i i couldn't do it i couldn't do that and i'm so grateful for the ones that love what they do you you know mine dan rickards uh we all went to church together he's done mine for 15 years and he likes it and he uh patronizes me uh with my lack of understanding of finances and just says i'll take care of it god bless him for that But him, he enjoys helping me because he believes in what I'm doing. He believes in my family. He believes in my work. He loves doing that for me as opposed to something that doesn't matter. So an accountant can still look and say, where can you as an accountant come in and have the blessing that Scott Stearman has and walk into a room full of possibilities to enhance a business, to enhance a person's life, to master what you do, to add to or increase as opposed to just what, of course, we in our culture refer to as the daily grind i would have you as a muse scott the blessing that you were given the privilege that you were given to do what you do i think we all can have that i think you're right i i I mean i really believe you're right and
1: and i think i think the the idea of serving others applies to any job any career anything you do to put food on the table i mean if you're delivering pizzas if you're fixing, if you're if you're fixing the the sewer line from the house to the septic, if you, I mean, if you're if you're selling clothes, if you're a checker at the grocery store, there is a service uh, aspect to everything. How do you serve others? How do you serve people? If you serve well, you're going to be successful. I mean, it
0: just it is it just is true. Um, it, you know, on, on sculpting, Scott, I remember because it was, it was an event we were at together that you were asked. Well, I don't know if it was at the event, but it was, it was with somebody that you and I know. And you were asked, what would you do if you, if I got, let me tell me if I've got it right. If you lost your hands, wasn't that it? If you couldn't sculpt, how yeah. would you do what you do? What was your answer back then? I think
1: I remember, I think I remember that, that conversation <laughs> I would still be a storyteller, mm-hmm. but I, I went, I think I rem, I remember f- at that point in my life, I was feeling, I would just use what I, what I know to, to reach out to other men and uh, do what I do, but I wouldn't be creating anything with my hands. But.
0: Well, so let me look at the, let me see if I've got this right. Trajectory wise to look at, at your calling to be, a, if if I can say that, to be a storyteller, to tell these stories, to draw people to a value that you started off career-wise as a youth, you started off in film. Is that right? Pretty much?
1: Yeah. Video started in television.
0: And you were doing that and flying around the world and taking videos in Africa and, and, and telling stories for places. Then you started Sculpting, And that was it for a long time at the point of that question being asked. That's what you were doing. Now you went from that. And the next thing that I saw is you're on a stage uh, at a church day one, you're at a stage and you're now storytelling on that stage and presenting something that you could have done without the sculptor. Now you use that as a, as a prop, a powerful prop. Now today I've got your book here. I don't need any of those things to read your book. Um, mm, true, and you're an, and you're an author, uh, but all
1: of those things have informed that book. Sure, I mean the 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 travel and the video production and the the chasing a career sculpture and the Christ-following learnings that that I've done with you know with with you and uh, and and the family. They're all they're all reflected in that book. It just became, uh, became just one central idea. Christ loves the world. We are his representatives. How the world sees Christ is often through the lens of how they see us. And so every day I'm, you know, I, I have to answer the question, how am I doing with that? How am I doing? What does my Jesus look like? today,
0: yeah.
1: or in this moment. Uh, in, the, in the book, I talk about, I talk about three things, uh, three ideas, three questions. When I'm in my studio, yeah. I, ask the, I ask the question, uh, does this decision strengthen or weaken? Does this decision make my result better or worse? Am I creating beauty? Am I creating distortion? And so I, I ask that question every time I'm sculpting. I'm moving clay, I'm doing stuff, and, and I'm asking myself, does that help? Does that hurt? Should I, should I take some away? Should I add some here? Um, does, does the decision uh, that I'm making here help me tell a good story? And so I ask those questions when I'm sculpting, but I really have to ask those questions uh, in life. I mean, in every moment of life, does this choice add or detract? Does it make this stronger or weaker? And does it help me tell a good story? Yeah. Uh, that's true in sculpture. That's true when I'm alone in my studio, but it's also true when I'm not alone and I'm out in life and I'm in community and I'm and I'm bumping into people and we're rubbing into, you know we're rubbing up against each other in life. And, and I'm making choices about how I'm going to live my life. Am I, am I creating beauty or am I creating distortion? Am I strengthening or weakening? And am I telling a good story with my life? Those, those feel like three really important questions that I have identified that I ask when I'm working on a sculpture but they're the they're the questions that I that I have to ask. Hey,
0: uh, I, I love them. It's page every day. It's page 91. I love them that much that I know. Really? That I'm I, glad you know
1: that because I, I don't know. I don't know. What page I do. On. You
0: actually misspoke yourself. So I, I, I literally know what you wrote. I am I'm a student of the author of this book. And that one, Scott, <laughs> that <laughs> one, you, you, you mentioned a couple of things, that, you know, that we representative that we all are. That's what's so convicting to me. I am a representative, whether I want to or not, whether I want to accept the accountability to XYZ, I am representing something, unless I'm a hermit, I am representing to my wife, my kids, the people here in my office, uh, my my friends, my audience. Uh, you know, To this day and age, you're generally pretty transparent. And even though I know we give flack to social media and say, ah, people only post the good stuff. Over time, I mean, my gosh, people have listened to me uh, day in and day out, week in and week, in, week, in, week out uh, for a lot of people have for, for years. You can see what I post on uh, Facebook. You get a pretty good idea of the flavor. Now, could I hide some from some of the bad? Probably. But man, I think it, it's a glass house these days. I think it pretty much comes through. We are representing something that there is no neutral. That's what gets me, Scott that there's not really any neutral especially yeah with my kids with my wife there's no neutral every day they're I'm representing something I'm representing my attentiveness my inattentiveness my love my disdain my frustration my joy it's all coming across I can't hide it I want I want to I want to express what you showcase in the book I want to desperately
1: desperately yeah you know, if I I love the illustration that I put in the book, and and I've I've used it many times. I have to give credit to Don Miller. I heard him say this in a a talk many years ago, and it's just something that resonated with me, and I've used it many times. I said it last week uh, to a a young person I was talking to, and the the question that Don Miller asked was, if your life was a movie, what would be the reviews? Tragedy, adventure, comedy, disappointing, thrilling, waste of time, best story I've ever seen, love story, bad ending, inspiring, triumphant. I love that because when I ask those questions of if I'm the main character in my movie, am I the hero or the villain? Would the audience love me or would they hate me when they see how I'm living my life? I've learned there are, there are many ways to uh, create a sculpture. I've done it a thousand different ways. And there are a thousand different ways to create a life. So it feels critical to have that foundational idea that I'm sculpting the image of Christ in this moment where I am, in this place with these people, what will he look like? By how I'm living my life in this moment, it's a simple idea and it's a huge idea because it shapes every moment mm-hmm. of every day.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It shapes my choices, and uh, and I I have I I man I had a I had a moment the other day I was in the bank drive through and it was just not a good conversation. You know, I wanted the bank to do something with some, you know, and then they wouldn't do it. They said, no, we can't do that. You know, you're going to have to send it, mail it, blah, blah, blah. And I just went, really? And immediately, I mean, I think I had on my, I think I had the book on the seat of my car <laughs> and immediately I'm going, okay, Scott, what does your Jesus look like uh-huh. in this moment what does he look like?
0: Yeah.
1: And it, it softened my tone. And that, that lady in the drive through she had no idea I, what I believed. She didn't any, know anything about me. She just, we were just having a disagreement about how I thought things should be done and what she was willing to do but it doesn't matter whether she knew I was a believer or not I still have the I still have the responsibility as a follower of Christ to live and share his light whether people know he is connected to it or not it's love God and love others sometimes you love others and they don't know why they just know that that person stopped and helped me and I'm really grateful we 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 think we have to turn every good deed into an evangelistic opportunity, right? And sometimes we just need to turn a good deed into a good deed. Yeah. We just need to do good things because it's the right thing to do and not do good things because we're going to bait and switch them. You know, We're going to do something good and then maybe we'll get them to come to church. Well, to somebody who's not a, not a follower of faith, that feels like the bait and switch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're being nice to me, but you've really got another agenda. The, 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 my hope with this book is that it will, it will help the body of Christ think about representing him well, because this is how we should live. This is who we should be. This is the faith we have been called to
0: just feels, feels important. I I don't know what else is. I mean, we're in an age, Scott, the, you know, the millennials are so talked about and authenticity is the word that they love. And I think that they can, they can smell intent a mile away. Oh yeah. And reading your book, showcase. I, I mean, again, I say that I'm, I'm focusing on the book cause it's here and present and, and in my hands, I've known this message from you for years. Uh, but bringing my focus back to it, that the opportunity seems more ripe than ever to stand out just by loving people. That that's what you showcase to me. That's what you tell stories about in the book. It's our responsibility to love people.
1: It's not their responsibility to embrace our message. Mm-hmm. And uh, we can fall into the trap of thinking, analyzing the return on investment. Is this conversation worth my trouble? Mm-hmm. You know? And yeah, it is. It's worth your trouble. if If all they see from you is someone who reflects the character of Christ whether they know you are a believer or not it's still important to reflect the character of Christ that can happen in traffic kevin miller <laughs> <laughs> yes it can yeah yes it can that that person in that that road rage moron i just have to go i'm going to i'm going to give him grace, and I'm going to give him space. And he won't even know why. But I care about what my Jesus looks like in this moment, whether he knows I'm a follower of Christ or not. I still have to live according to the name that I claim. Yeah.
0: Well, and then we're back to a lady that I refer to over and over and over again, Shanti Feldhahn who wrote the book, the 30 day kindness challenge. If you t- type her name in with the Ziegler show, you'll find whatever episode it is. I don't, I don't have it offhand and her saying that the kindness to others, and we, we can, we can interchange that word love that we've been using what it does for them. Of course, that is, that that's a benefit. That's, that's a big deal. What it does for us mm-hmm. is guaranteed. Uh, what you're depicting it's our
1: it's our answer to the truth the Easter Sunday we all experienced recently how I live my life today is my response to what happened after Easter you know I just watched the movie Risen recently and it takes place from the crucifixion on. You know, most Easter movies lead up to the crucifixion and the resurrection, but this takes place from the crucifixion when Christ was walking with his disciples, and they they called him Yeshua. And I love I I love that in the movie they, they <laughs> it was a name of affection, and he was a friend that they walked with, and that movie prompted me to actually sculpt a sculpture called Yeshua. Because I was so taken with the idea of this friend and the affection they had, they walked with him and they learned with him. And so that's, man, I I just want that to be my life every day that I feel like I'm walking, I'm walking with, my friend. I'm walking with my rabbi, Yeshua. And so the the requirement that I place on myself is to make sure that the life I live reflects well the King whose name I carry and the Lord that I serve. That just feels like the church today needs to embrace that and to not be at war with those who don't agree with us, but to love them anyway. And that feels hard. That feels uncomfortable and it feels unnatural because my humanness wants to take up arms And go to war and charge over the hill in a kilt and a big sword. Absolutely. It's got this braveheart thing going. That's that's my that's my natural tendency, but but the the call the call to be faithful to the Christ of the resurrection calls me to a level of living that is different than my human nature calls me to. And that's just, man. I don't know if this. I don't know if this is resonating with you, but the, that's the idea that just that informed the the writing of the book. That I just wanted us as a as followers of Christ to be reminded and challenged about His character, His nature, and His His calling on us.
0: How we reflect who he is to a watching world. Scott, I think it's the superpower we're all looking for. We watched the Avengers and Superman and Batman, and we're enamored with these superpowers and looking at your message to me, reminds me of that. That is my biggest opportunity for a superpower is to be contrary to my nature that wants to charge over the mountain with a sword. Uh, the, The world, my family does not need me to beat anybody up. Um, They don't need me to save the city from a a, a villain. They need me (laughs) to love them even more so when it is hard. They need me to showcase that. And again, I'm back to what does your Jesus look like? Outside of that, what does my life paint? What picture does my life paint for other people? And then statement you just said a minute ago, how I live my life today is my response to Christ. How convicting in, is that?
1: Yeah, you know, I, in, I, in the book, I, I talk about, I tell a story in the book about the creation of a sculpture, a Veterans Monument, and how years after I created that, uh, my brother, Steve, was was looking out over the campus mall at Southern Nazarene University in Oklahoma. and And he saw the little couple come tottering down the sidewalk. And it was an old veteran on his cane. And he, 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 wanted to re- he wanted to visit this monument because he wanted to reflect on a time in his life where he believed in something and he answered the calling for what he believed. And he stood there as an old man, raising a quivering salute and he had the feeling of a moment of self-approval. He remembered his service, and he remembered his sacrifice, and he stood in the light of self-approval. In that same story, I talk about uh, the prayer of St. Francis, and how we, you know, we hear that prayer usually in a liturgical service with candles and soft music. And, and uh, we think of St. Francis as this, you know, this gentle little guy that spoke softly and he loved birds. And Mm -hmm. he walked around the garden a lot. But man, if you know his story, he may have had a gentle spirit, but he had a warrior residing inside of him because he stood firm on his convictions. He stood against convention. He, uh, he prayed the prayer that most of us think is a gentle prayer, but it's the prayer that I challenge, I challenge all of us, if you read his prayer, it would be hard to live that prayer every day. Make me an instrument of thy peace. What does that look like in everyday life? Where there is hatred, let me so love. Can I love someone who hates me? Where there is injury, pardon. Can I pardon someone who injures me? Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there's darkness, light. Then he goes on to pray, O divine master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, not looking for what I need. I'm looking out for what others need to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love, for it is in giving that we receive. It is in pardoning that we are pardoned. It is in dying that we are born to eternal life. That's the prayer of St. Francis. And, the, and, and if you go through that prayer line by line, it is a huge challenge to any guy with bulging biceps, carrying a big sword and charging over the mountain. I dare you to be strong enough to live that prayer this day. Oh, my word. Probably almost impossible for me. But it's a
0: but but it's a challenge, Scott. You said that years ago. You said, you know what? <clears throat> I would easily tell my I do easily tell my wife I would die for you. But then you mm. you said yeah. this in our guys group. But then, will I change for her? <laughs> yeah, yeah, honey. Oh, yeah, honey. I'll die for you. I'll, I'll go to
1: war for you. I'll stand against the enemy. I'll protect you. But I won't go to the gym for you. I won't lose weight for you. I won't eat the way you think I should eat for you. I won't do the things that I know are important for you. But I'll die for you. Don't forget that. I'll die for you, but I won't put your car in the garage when it's raining. I don't know. I, I, that just felt like it just felt like a moment probably where I was probably chest pounding and just going, ah, "Honey, I'll die for you." And then I looked and I went, "Yeah, but I've got all these other things." She- that i don't do mm-hmm. and they're
0: so simple mm-hmm. i don't I'll, know maybe i'll never, it's in our I'll never forget 20. it i'll never forget it <laughs> you know my, my i thought of my wife sitting there going well, I, I, that's great that you would die for me but would you just put your socks away i I, yeah. I you don't you don't have to go so far as death and yet that's so much easier that sword yeah. that sword is easier
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Socks are uh, socks are an eternal (laughs) challenge for me. They they reside in the floor of my closet, even as we speak.
0: Scott, I could keep this conversation going on. But, you know, this what you said a minute ago, that story that's in there of that man who came along to the memorial that you did um, and how he had that moment of self-approval. I I want that. And I want people to hear that. I've talked about living life in a way that uh, makes me, makes me proud of myself. And a lot of people struggle with pride, that word proud and really approval is even better. I want to, I want to look back at yesterday at this, at this morning and in 10 years from now and feel good about the life I have lived and I exemplified and I mirrored to my family and others. I, Scott, I just, I'm just, I'm grateful for this message you've brought forth. I'm grateful for the day that I, that I got to sit and listen to it. And this book, it's powerful.
1: Can I, can I Please. end our time together by just reading the last entry yeah, in the book? Absolutely. Please. It's, it's hardly a chapter. It's more like a page. It's a short page. It's called, it's called Benediction. Yep. I know it. Don't ever forget that you are a sculptor of the beautiful face of Jesus. Make your life a beautiful song. We are all sculpting his image with our lives, carefully living out our faith before a watching humanity who are desperate for a glimpse of the divine So when you go back outside, when you go back out into your world, would you show kindness, be compassionate, extend mercy, offer hope to some folks who don't have very much, take a stand against injustice and work for peace in a world that's not very peaceful right now. My brothers and sisters in Christ, If we have taken the name of our king, this is who we are to be. So for the people in your life who don't know Christ, but maybe they know that you do. What does Jesus look like for them?
0: He looks just like you. Scott, thank you. Thanks for the conviction. Thanks for making the effort to share what God's put on your heart. And for me, thank you for being one of the most poignant examples of the love of Christ in my own life. It's an honor to share life with you, to do life with you. And it's an honor to share you with this audience because I know there's people out there that there's nothing more today than, than this that they needed to hear. Thank you, brother. Thank you. Friends, I truly hope that this conversation spoke to you as much as it did me. I know it's more faith based and contemplative than the average shows. Man, I'll simply say I felt led to do it. Uh, again, you can connect with Scott Stearman, check out his dramatic sculptures and his new book, What Does Your Jesus Look Like, at Scott stearman.com you'll be inspired just by going there and viewing his work coming up in episode seven seven eight if we paid you fifty thousand dollars to try something would you do it what would you do if, if you knew you could not fail? You have probably heard that pithy quote that we often find on placards and gift shops. I actually have that on a little pottery disc hanging by our kitchen sink. And, and in reality, though, we can always fail. So I came at it at a different way and asked the Ziegler audience this question. If you were offered a $50,000 uh, grant, let's say, to try something growth oriented in your personal or professional life, what would it be? And the attempt is the same. It's to remove the reasons we have for not going after pursuits that we desire to do. In episode 773, my guest was Jennifer Allwood, author of the new book, Fear is Not the Boss of You. And I've mentioned before, we've received more positive feedback on that episode that I did with her uh, than any others for quite a while. Well, I had Jennifer come back to talk through some of the wealth, just of dreams and aspirations people share. There's been, I think, 60 or so comments of people saying, this is what I would do. It's pretty amazing. You're going to want to hear this. Uh, so she came back. We talked through this. And again, the, the ideas of what people would do if they were just provided this little financial cushion uh it's ultimately just saying what if you had an impetus to help take away some of the real and perceived obstacles such as money and fear uh, what would you do so it's just an incredible ultimately a, a kind of a live coaching session on hope and opportunity with jennifer allwood well till then folks thank you as always for letting me walk with you as we inspire our true performance together